Hello all and welcome to Teach Me Something, the podcast where I have questions and then I figure out the answers and I tell everything to you so that I have an excuse to keep researching things I like. And you have answers. (laughs) That's cool too, yeah. Uh, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. So... As you may see from the title, this episode is is about all the rainbow of colors that your human body can turn. And yes, I do mean rainbow. We're going to hit all the Roy G. Biv colors. And she also means your human body, too. Your human body might do this. That's right. Um, <laughs> and then at the end, I'll just I'll even throw in black, white, and brown as a, as a bonus. As a bonus. Yeah, I don't remember those parts of the rainbow but it's okay if you don't want to know you can leave the room but i think the listeners will want to know because some of it's interesting okay some of it might be gross but i I think it's all interesting that's fair it's i mean as a warning this is this is the human body and and some of it might be gross to you maybe fair warning um and you know another fair warning is that my list is certainly not exhaustive okay uh there's a lot of things I didn't have room for. Shocking. Um, but suffice to say, you know, our bodies are real complicated and they can do a great many cool and weird, uh, colorful things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, especially the the red and pink spectrum. <laughs> there, holy moly, there are a lot of reasons you can turn red. I look forward to it. Um, How about you teach me something? Awesome. I thought... But maybe we should start with the fact that there are a million reasons your body can turn red. Okay. Um, you know, since I was just complaining about it. Paint or... being one. <laughs> maybe I should do a further, like, addendum to my introduction, which is sure. that none of these things are, you know, you colored yourself with a green marker so you turned ah. green. Or... See, I thought I had the inside yeah. track to understanding this one. <laughs> No, these are all processes that your body goes through. And um, yeah, um, I, I was exaggerating a little bit. I don't think there's actually a million reasons. Only 999,000? Um, well, certainly thousands. I don't okay. know how many thousands, but there are a lot. Um, but the thing is that the underlying mechanism by which you turn red is almost always the same, which is an increased amount of blood near the surface of your skin. I was going to ask if that's the case. Um, so I thought we'd start with, why is blood red? Okay. Yeah. Go for it. So red blood cells mm-hmm. contain a molecule called hemoglobin. Sure does. That's the molecule that binds and transports oxygen throughout our bodies. Mm-hmm. So hemoglobin is made of four chains, and each chain has a protein, which is the globin, and a heme molecule. So the heme molecule is where your iron is. And thanks, everybody. Thanks for your just, support. Just thanks double, for your support. You know, giving my stamp of <laughs> approval on that one. I, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so that's what gives hemoglobin a brownish red color is the iron in the heme. Um, and now red blood cells are filled with hemoglobin. Yes. They, okay, so each red blood cell has about 280 million hemoglobin molecules. Okay, that, that's a few. <laughs> Red blood cells are really just bags of hemoglobin, just so you know. That's what your red blood cells are. Right. Um, and red blood cells happen to be by far the most common type of cell in our human bodies. So here's a fun game, Everett. What percentage would you guess of the cells in our body are red blood cells? 63.5%. <laughs> so it's actually just over 80%. Um, adults, adults have somewhere around 25 trillion red blood cells on average in their body. So if you're doing the math, that is 280 million times 25 trillion, which it's a small number. is seven sextillion hemoglobin molecules in your body. So that is why blood is red. <laughs> There's a lot of hemoglobin in your body, which is right. a good thing because oxygen is important to you not dying. Right. Um, even though, like, I don't know, you probably know this, but the, the fluid that carries your red blood cells and white blood cells and stuff is actually like a straw-colored translucent fluid, the plasma. Mm-hmm. It, it itself is definitely not red. Right. Um, I didn't know it was straw-colored, but the translucent part I was aware of. Yeah, for some reason, they always say straw-colored. In every source I've ever learned it in, it's like never yellow or 
or clearish opaque. Like it, no, it's straw colored. That's how everyone describes it. So straw okay. colored. Fine. Yeah. Um, so you turn red. You turn red because you know blood. And let's start with rashes. Sure. There are a lot of rashes you can get. I tried to just Google how many different rash causes are. Anyways, that and did they said not more than five. That did not provide me with any answers. Just like listicle articles that were like, "Look at these poisonous plants," or "Look at this bug." And you're like, "Okay, thanks, Google." Um, Google turns out doesn't know quite everything. Doesn't know Fair all enough. the answers. So um, when you have a rash, you're going to turn red usually because the extra blood rushing to the skin surface to deliver like cellular components so it might need a clotting component depending on what's causing your rash it might need white blood cells to fight off invaders or whatever so basically increase blood flow to that area because you're trying to your body's trying to fix whatever the issue is um so here is a again not exhaustive list you can have genetic like autoimmune type conditions like lupus rosacea psoriasis eczema acne keratosis pilaris stasis dermatitis kawasaki's disease stills disease sarcoidosis phenylketonuria porph- porphyria and and like other ones these lists all end in etc just so you know okay. um, you can have diseases caused by viruses or bacteria like chickenpox measles rubella scarlet fever shingles fifth disease impetigo scabies rheumatic fever mono yeast infection West Nile, Lyme disease, cellulitis, MRSA, HIV, toxic shock syndrome, hand, foot, and mouth syphilis, typhoid, dengue fever, Ebola, SARS, histoplasmosis, a bunch of other fungal infections, etc., etc. Um, fun fact about fifth disease. It's called fifth disease because they used to just number the diseases in the order they thought that children were most likely to get them. So there was okay. like a first disease and a second disease and a third disease. Fifth disease is the only one we still call by the number. I thought it was maybe just the fifth one that you mentioned. <laughs> I have no idea what number it was on my giant list. Plants can give you a rash. Yes. Way more plants than you think. Like there's some plants like the capsic, like capsicum, like bell pepper, where the plant, like you can eat the fruit, but the leaves, the sap, like all that stuff is going to give you a rash. Same with a lot of other food, apparently. So like poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, wood nettle, stinging nettle, baby's breath, actually. Hmm. Leadwort, ragweed, giant hogweed, wolfsbane, capsicum, chrysanthemums, weeping figs, parsnips, philodendrons, oleander, daphne, hyacinthus, iris, narcissus. Now it's just a list of Greek gods. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we transitioned <laughs> at some point there. Um, you know, parasite or insect could bite you. Uh, fleas, ticks, lice, mosquitoes, spider mite, bug bug, ringworm, hookworm, etc. Um, allergic reactions, you know, hay fever, urticaria, hives, contact dermatitis. Allergy to medication like antibiotic and uh, yeah, so you can get lots of rashes and I left most things off the list. I know that seemed long, but it was not. Yeah, probably not. Um, sunburns, of course, turn you red. Um, if your skin gets more UV exposure than it can handle, then you know you basically have killed your skin. That damage is beyond repair. So the cells die off a little bit. Blood vessels dilate to increase your blood flow to the area, bring your immune like cells and your kind of repair. Uh, crew, and then that causes redness and swelling. So what you're saying is that the red, whatever the actual thing is that it's happened to you, almost always is in defense or in repair, and it's a dilation of red blood cells to your skin that make you look red. In an attempted defense. Sure. But let's just clarify that something like an allergy is like, or all those autoimmune conditions are like your immune system being like, we should destroy all this stuff, even though it's perfectly fine. I understand. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Um, sunburn, similar to a burn caused by heat, but, you know, UV and heat are different ways of killing tissue. Right. But it's basically just, you know, again, you're killing tissue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's something more interesting, though. So there's a colorful side effect of some drugs, um, like antibacterial type drugs, is called red man syndrome. Um, and so it typically involves your head and your neck and your upper torso just turning like a really bright red, like a mm. crazy bright red. The pictures are weird. So like basically, man. <laughs> yeah. So basically the drugs um, trigger uh, like just an immune response that's just kind of localized in your skin um, and your dermis layer of your skin, so your outer layer, um, is dotted with these things called mast cells. And that's what release histamines when you have an allergic reaction. Okay. 
Um, so basically you're having a weird localized to the skin allergic reaction because a bunch of histamine just gets dumped. Um, yeah. And apparently, I don't know if you've heard of vancomycin. Is it like a really popular antibiotic or at least it was. Um, they discovered it in 1953 and they were really concerned at the time about penicillin resistance okay. and finding new antibiotics. So they kind of rushed it into production. Um, so a lot of the early doses were pretty, uh, gross like maybe oh, okay. had some contaminations maybe like sure. whatever and so people were like oh this people are turning red but it must be because of this terribly made antibiotics so they like clean them all up um and tried to use them some more but people just kept turning red so eventually someone figured out that um certain antibiotics can't be pushed into a person's bloodstream too quickly because that annoys your mast cells um, so I'm, I'm going to also kind of slot pink in here as a subset of red. Because as you know, okay. rain, rainbows don't really have pink, but yeah, it's just I, a more diluted pink. I get you. Diluted red. I yes. mean, that's the one. I mean, diluted pink would just be <laughs> even lighter <laughs> more pink. pink. And I don't think that needs to be its own subset. Um, so, you turn pink when you blush. You knew this. But did you know that blushing is actually part of your, like, fight or flight mechanism i didn't know that but it makes sense so you're, you want to direct all your available energy to your muscles okay you want your heart rate to increase you want your breathing rate to increase to deliver as much oxygen as possible to your to your muscles right um you'll want to be seeing more sharply so your pupils dilate that's all adrenaline right yeah um so adrenaline increases your breathing rate as i said which causes your pupils to dilate and your blood vessels to dilate right so, so we're gonna get a similar blood vessels dilate you're gonna here. get all flushed um why do human beings go into flight or flight when we're embarrassed good question but clear it's clear as day that we do so it's interesting yeah it's pretty embarrassment pretty high up there on the well, bad I mean, emotions list for people i guess i understand but i can see why embarrassment leads to wanting to run away from the situation that's flight it's not so much why like i understand it but the why is still elusive to me um long-term exposure to mercury can cause your hands and feet to swell and peel and feel like they're on fire and turn a deep shade of pink hmm. um it's called acrodynia or pink disease and also comes along with some kidney damage, brain damage, and nerve damage, and oh, mostly good. just seen in little kids, unfortunately. Um, so basically, somewhere along the way in history, uh, Big Pharma <sighs> decided it was a good idea to add um, what's called calomel. Um, so it's a form of mercury to teething powders. Mm. And by the way, calomel is a very strong laxative. Or has a lot strong laxative effect, I should say. And it's um, not to be confused with the tea. Calomel? Oh, that's terrible. It's just just making sure. That's terrible. It, no, not chamomile tea. Calomel. Um, so then we started seeing a lot of little kids that had organ damage and pink hands and feet and um Obviously, we've outlawed mercury-containing teething powders now here, but there are still some developing nations in which you can find those things. It's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but kids also, in the past, had got into old thermometers or sure. big manometers. I like that word. The blood pressure cuff. They oh, used, okay. They, yeah, used, yeah. they used to also be made with mercury that as well as sense. the old thermometers. So yeah. those are other um, other things. So you can give someone a chelating agent, so a drug's going to bind with it and, and clear it out of your body. Yeah. Um, and that usually helps. Carbon monoxide poisoning also turns you bright pink. Really? You may know. Um, so we're going to talk about hemoglobin again. Um, so just so you bind oxygen binds hemoglobin, and it converts it from a dull red to a bright red. So oxyhemoglobin is a bright red. Um, when hemoglobin binds to carbon monoxide, now we're going to get carboxyhemoglobin and carboxyhemoglobin is like bright, bright red. Okay. And it remains bright, bright red because carbon monoxide is going to bind much tighter to those bonding positions than oxygen does. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't release the way oxygen will. So you effectively make that hemoglobin ineffective and in 
kill it off in the sense of how the body uses it. You don't die from lack of oxygen in carbon monoxide poisoning. You die from lack of available carrying capacity because carbon monoxide has stolen all the binding sites and can't let go. And so it creates all this bright, bright, bright red hemoglobin, which turns you pink. Okay. Um, Yeah. And, and myoglobin is an oxygen binding protein in your muscles that the hemoglobin passes the oxygen to. So your muscles can have that oxygen um, has the same kind of reaction it, once it binds carbon monoxide, which it will also, it myoglobin also turns a much brighter shade of red. So, yeah, your muscles, your blood, like everything is just much pinker. Um, so, let's move on to orange. Okay. It's, um, I feel like it's a bit of a TV trope, maybe because I watch a lot of TV, but Terrence. like a person turning orange. <laughs> it was on Magic School Bus and Scrubs and I'm sure other shows, but um, carrots, no, not really. Tomatoes. Okay. See the thing is you gotta you gotta remember that whatever color the thing that you're eating is it's it's being um, mixed or diluted with your own yeah. natural pinkness or translucent or like anyway so you can't eat an orange thing to turn orange you have to eat a red thing to turn orange I'm just saying the trope that I've always heard is oh. eating too much carrots turns you you know orange well that'll turn you yellow but we'll get to it okay well we'll, we'll get there so. Lycopenemia is what it's called here. Um, Because lycopene is a bright red carotenoid hydrocarbon. Ooh, fun. That's just like a compound. It's just found in food. Plants. Food. (laughs) Um, It's found in tomatoes, but like lots of other red fruits and vegetables. Red carrots, watermelons, grapefruits, beets, red bell peppers, cabbage, and papaya. Okay. Um, But it's not in every red food. It's not what makes strawberries or cherries red, for example. Or, like, there's lots of things that have high lycopene content that actually aren't red, um, like mango, asparagus, parsley, and basil. Okay. Yeah. So, carotenoids, these these types of compounds, there's lots of them. So, they're deposited in, in the fatty areas between the cells in the outer layer of your skin. That's where they, they get like laid down and deposited, like deposited once they're in yeah, your body. Okay. Um, and, and that's why the color change is actually most noticeable um, in places that you sweat the most um, because it has the thickest fatty layer. It's, it's the way your skin is structured, basically. So it's going to be like your palms, uh, soles, your feet, knees, um, like the back of your knees and your naso, uh, nasolabial folds. Anyways... There's going to be certain areas that are going to be way more orange. Um, If you do return colors, it's really not like an issue. (laughs) It's not going to cause, it doesn't doesn't seem to cause any sort of negative health effect. It's just like you're a different color now. And if you just stop liking it or stop eating it. I assume as your skin goes through a cycle of dying and then like sloughing off. It'll take a while, but yeah, yeah, you'll definitely turn back. Um, Unlike some other things later in this program um but i just want to point out that carotenoids um contribute to our regular skin color like they're part of the reason you are whatever color you are okay and um they're really useful for our skin they're part of how our skin protects itself from uv exposure carotenoids are important um so yellow like i said can come from eating too many carrots but again not just carrots uh anything with beta carotene in it that's beta carotene, not beta keratin. Just so we're clear, beta keratin is the thing in reptile and bird it's like the skin scaly. and feathers and connective tissues. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's what gives carrots their orange color. It's in cantaloupe, pumpkin, sweet potato, papaya, mango, and lots of green leafy vegetables like spinach and kale. So you know how before I mentioned that lycopene was also in like parsley and basil. And yeah. So. Chlorophyll is just more dominant pigment. Green chlorophyll is just going to cover up the expression of those lycopenes and beta carotenes. But they're still present. They're still present, and sometimes in high amounts. Chlorophyll just right. is, is has to be present in very high amount in leaves to you know make things work. So it, it just it dominates. So just so you know, if you if if you're yellow and you're like I'm dying, you know, of jaundice or something, right. check the whites of your eyes because if you eat too many carrots. 
and your skin is yellow, the whites of your eyes should not be. But in if jaundice, the whites of your eyes are. are yellow, then you're jaundiced. Yeah. Which is the really main reason a person's going to turn yellow. Um, jaundice is also called icterus. Well, so <laughs> before we go on to jaundice, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that the yellow from carotene, the, bear, the beta carotene, um, is that also where it's getting deposited into your skin in a similar mechanism that turns you like orange? Oh, yeah. These are all uh, carotenoids or similar compounds to those. Okay. Yeah. These so are the all same, a, a similar. So, again, in areas that you sweat, it would be where it would yeah. express the most. Yeah, it would be odd looking, but okay. yes. Whereas my impression is that jaundice is relatively uniform across your body. Oh, but you will see. Okay. Because I was <laughs> about to dive into the jaundice section. Excellent. I was segueing naturally. I, that was my segue you for you. Interrupted me. I knew I could do a better segue, so I just <laughs> jumped right in there and got it. The rolling. thing is, I do want you to contribute. I really do, but sometimes, or all the time, you just generally say the thing that I'm going to say, which is kind of funny to me. That's mm-hmm. what happens when you're married. Yes. I'm just kidding. I don't think that happens to everyone. Just, oh god. Okay. Yeah. So. Like I said, your skin and your eye, whites of your eyes are going to be yellow. And so jaundice is because of high bilirubin levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty rare in adults, like relatively, but really common in babies. Okay, here's another pop quiz. What percent of newborn babies experience jaundice in their first week of life? Like 80 or 90%. Yeah, it's 80%. Yeah. 100% of our babies. Yeah. Yeah. So why? Why does it happen? I suspect most people know it's a, like a liver problem or a sign right. of a, a liver problem. But I kind of wanted to learn more about the mechanism by which you turn yellow. Um, so when your bilirubin levels in your blood exceed a certain amount, then you start to turn yellow. Um, you can see it first in the eyes. The whites of your eyes are going to turn yellow before your skin starts to turn noticeably yellow. And that's because um, bilirubin basically likes to bond and deposit in um, with, with elastin, a protein called elastin. Okay, sure. And um, there's a lot of elastin in the conjunctiva of your eyes um, around the white part, the sclera. So um, just in general, it likes to be there. But you wouldn't be surprised to hear that there's a lot of elastin in your skin. Okay. You know, kind of a collagen type, like a, a protein that's gives your skin some stretch and it's in your joints, it's your eye. Yeah. But so that, that's kind of one of the reasons that, um, your skin looks yellow. Um, but how do you, how would you have a high bilirubin level? Um, bilirubin is like actually orangish red. A lot of sources say it's yellow, but that doesn't actually make sense. And the better sources say orangish red, which again, makes more sense. If you have a lot of orange, then you turn yellow, not orange or not yellow turns yellow. Anyways, you know what I'm trying to say. Sure. It's a bit of a darker color than is implied. Um, it's made during like the normal, um, hmm, like catabol. Uh, when you break down red blood cells, yeah. you break them down. Eventually there's like a chain of reactions that happen. And one of the byproducts on this chain is the bilirubin. Right. Um, Basically, it comes from the heme. The heme gets broken down into something, which then gets broken down into bilirubin. So if your liver is healthy, it's going to remove most of this bilirubin and everything's going to be fine. Um, If it's not, then it's going to build up. So jaundice happens for two main reasons, both of which have so many different causes. I'm not even going to really go into them. But like the big way number one is that you have an illness condition that causes your body to produce a bunch of extra red blood cells. Okay. Lots of different things can cause this, you know, blood disorders, whatever. So if you have a bunch of too many red blood cells, your body's going to be destroying a lot of red blood cells. And you can't process that proper balance. Yes. And then, and then you're just overwhelming your liver as opposed to it not functioning. It's doing, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? Just has too much work. Right. And then the second way, of course, is that your liver's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And any number of liver conditions, bile duct blockage can explain that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, With children, what's the, which one of those two mechanisms is it? Or like newborns, I should say, not necessarily children. Um, it's really funny that you say that because that was on my list of stuff to look up. And then I was like, my outline is 13 pages. I need to okay. stop writing. So I did. So that wasn't a transition. That was just newborn. a black hole. Okay. This was, this was something I was actually very interested in learning. Mm-hmm. And then was like, I really need to stop adding things to this. 
Um, because as you know, I'm a little long winded at the best of times. So anyways, now you've just embarrassed me on national television. I'm just you do, you do look more pink and like you want to flee. So I want to flee. That makes sense. Cause this is a podcast. It's not like we could ever stop recording or pause it or something. No, not possible. Live. Um, let's move on to green. Green is interesting. It'll okay. distract you from that question. I'm sure it will. Okay. So there is something called green sickness. Hmm. Okay. Where people get so pale that they look greenish. But typically, like, at least these days, like, you don't get green, really. You just get really pale white. But in in most old days, before modern medicine or before we knew what was going on, they would definitely get to the point where they looked Um, (laughs) green-ish. Yeah, okay. On on a scale. We're not, like, super green, but it's super interesting. Not like Ninja Turtles living in sewer style. Yeah. But like classic, you know, sailor seasickness kind of. Well, but yeah, they called green. it pale sickness, white sickness, or chlorosis. Okay. So it's kind of a mix between white and green there. Um, but these days, because green sickness was just like the name for a lot of different things that we had no idea what was going on. What's really happening in green sickness is hypochromic anemia. Hypochromic meaning less color, less pigment. Yeah. Your blood cells have less pigment. For a lot of different reasons. But, like, basically, if you look at the red blood cell under a microscope, they look pale in the center, usually caused by iron deficiency. That's our medical answer for what this is. Okay. So. And in the lack of red, we get a kind of greenish hint. Or hue. Yeah. For sure. Okay. I think it's something about the complementary color, red and green. Anyways. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, but... Um, so, historically, though, green sickness was a disorder of women. It was like, oh. if a woman wasn't feeling well, or if a woman was doing anything that a man didn't want her to do, then she you had green hysterical? sickness. It was exactly under the category of that. It's the exact type <laughs> of it. It's, it's just like hysteria. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, symptoms include pale, tired, weak, short of breath, headache, upset stomach, lack of appetite, and then it eventually just becomes... Green. Boredom and other things included under there or rebellious. You know, it was exactly yeah. like hysteria. Yeah. So um, women were mostly always diagnosed right around the age that a female starts menstruating. Yeah. And we didn't associate the blood loss and anemia because we had no idea what was going on. Like, I think it's shocking. I don't think people really understand how little we knew about medicine until the 1900s. Like, we probably learned more in the last 10 years than they did between ancient Greek and... And 1900. It, it's, it's, it's shocking. Anyways, eventually this becomes connected to virginity. So okay. these women yeah. are childbearing age now because, you know, they started menstruating. So now they have to have a baby even if they're like 12. Um, but, you know, they're still virgins. So that's wrong or whatever. So it was called the virgin's disease or lover's sickness or, quote, the disease of maids occasioned by celibacy. Like it Sounds just like happened a story to them. Title occasioned like a book. by I find a lot of things from the 17, 1800, the titles were way too long, but flowing and extravagant and very descriptive. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare actually wrote a lot about this and often referred to a woman who was green or sick with greenness, um, aka she was, you know, so horny, she's sick. Or sometimes he meant it to be like she's so prudish about sex. I don't know. Kind of oh, confusing. Okay. Kind of confusing, but you know. There's some inherent sexism present here, I'm guessing. You understand that, you know, women who aren't sexually active are diseased and the only cure is some man-loving, you know? Like, really? Okay. Um, You could basically be diagnosed just because you're a young woman who was in a bad mood and the prescription they would literally say is to go get married. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1554, German doctor Johannes Long described green sickness for the first time. Um... It's a virgin problem, so his treatment is to go have sex, and actually he thought the best treatment would be to go get pregnant. Which is like a bit of a double-edged sword, because because you stop having periods, but pregnancy can make you super anemic, so I don't... Yeah, because now you have effectively a parasite that's exactly what sucking is, your blood that's exactly what's happening here so i mean i don't know i don't know how that one plays out in the end um in 18 or in 1681 english physician thomas sydenham said chlorosis was a hysterical disease 
affecting not only adolescent girls, but also slender and weakly women that seem consumptive. So, like, they had TV. TV, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said that we should treat it with iron. Oh. That sounds like actually is on the right track. To the worn out or languid blood, it gives a spur or fillip, whereby the animal spirits which lay prostrate and sunken under their own weight are raised and excited. He had no idea why (laughs) he was prescribing iron to make your blood excited, but... But it seemed to be, again, like, on the right track. I mean, doesn't matter. History is going to once again forget that we found a treatment to this and go back to crazy, stupid stuff. Yeah, of course. You know that's how it works. (laughs) So people just stopped treating it with iron. I don't know if people just maybe this didn't start in the first place and they just thought this guy was an idiot. But um, basically, (laughs) okay, they eventually started thinking it was poisoning, maybe? Maybe like self-poisoning? Maybe a woman was poisoning herself? Maybe she didn't even know she was poisoning herself? (laughs) Those hysterical (laughs) women. (laughs) And they were going to treat it with mithridate. I don't know what that is. Have you heard of mithridate? I mean, it sounds like some sort of end game or is for like Is it in like, like a, Assassin's Creed? Maybe? Maybe? No. Because it feels like something that would be in Assassin's Creed. I mean, I have It's heard like of it, a but... mythically, not even mythic, like they did make it, but it was like this huge deal. It could cure any poison in the world. It was a super antidote. It was um, up to like 65 ingredients in any, you know, and they're all different or whatever. Of course. Um, like, for example... Turpentine, parsley, cinnamon, rhubarb, myrrh, frankincense, and 65 more ingredients. Yeah, no. Just expensive. literally everything under the sun. To, to just, I'm going to I'm gonna lay some harsh truths on you. Even Pliny thought Mithridate was dumb. Oh, what? <laughs> Here's Pl- what Pliny has to say. He says, the Mithridatic antidote is composed of 54 ingredients, no two of them having the same weight, while some of it is prescribed at 1 60th part of 1 denarius which is the standard silver, like, Roman coin. Which of the gods in the name of truth fixed these absurd proportions? No human brain could have been sharp enough. It is plainly a showy parade of the art and a colossal boast of science. Anyways, wow. he seemed heated, and he did not like this Mithridate. Probably because he didn't make it. <laughs> it wasn't his idea. Yeah. It wasn't deep frying a canary. So, yeah, um, okay. So then just they moved jealous. On. Yeah, they moved on to thinking humors were plugging the uterus or blocking the spleen. Um, and then they started blaming it on masturbation. And then they finally got back to iron in the 1800s by accident, of course, but it worked. But here's some other stuff that we did before that. Okay. Powdered steel in wine and spices. That's one treatment. Frequent, Mm -hmm. frequent exercise, which is a terrible treatment for an anemic person. Yeah. Um, bloodletting. Which is a terrible treatment for an anemic person, but they did it for everything, so can you blame them? They probably killed a bunch of people doing that. Anyways, tepid baths. Not not warm or cold, by the way. Tepid. I mean... Iodine. Okay. Ergot. Aloe. Mercury. Riding Mm. a horse. Mm. Which to me kind of sounds like sex again, but... Okay. (laughs) Why they would have prescribed this to young ladies. Jump rope. Tender meat. Malt liquor. Okay, well, tender meat might... Because there's iron in, in most meats, especially red meats, right? I mean, that's true. So that, that might have helped a little bit. Uh, possibly. Depends why why this, you know. Yeah, right. If, if iron absorption was an issue. Anyways, um, flannel underwear. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, brisk rubbing with a coarse towel. Mm-hmm. Friction over the loins and abdomen. Okay. Or quit school. Oh, yeah. That because one makes that's, the most sense. that's too much stress for your poor little woman brain. So if you quit school, you'll feel better. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read a poem. I'm going to read a go poem. Go for it. Written in 1682. Okay. Called A Remedy for Green Sickness. And it's not safe for work. <laughs> sure. A handsome buxom lass lay panting on her bed. She looked as green as grass and mournfully she said... Except I have some lusty lad to ease me of my pain. I cannot live, I sigh and grieve, my life I now disdain. But if some bonny lad would be so kind to me, before I am quite mad to end my misery, and cool these burning flames of fire which rage in this my breast, then I should be from torments free and be forever blessed. So, she goes on for another 50 lines about how bad she needs to get laid, and um, then some boy next door hears her. And comes in and 
quote, kisses her twice, if you know what they mean. I didn't, because okay. I thought that that meant he kissed her. But apparently not. He How, cured her. In the, uh, in the end, it kind of seems that it means sex, not okay. kisses. I mean, unless it means kisses, but then the kisses would have to have left the last sweating and blushing and were so good she wants to pay for more and cured her green sickness. So I think it was maybe sex. Okay. I don't know. They were prudes. They couldn't just come out and say it. Anyways, that's right. kind of funny, but it's all pretty raunchy and silly. Um, bruising can also give you greenish skin colors, um, but not, again, not super bright green. Um, vibrant green tone, though, has been known to occur with cases of multiple organ failure or like sepsis because this one's interesting, actually. They think that what's happening is it might become possible for food dyes to be absorbed into your extracellular spaces, which will cause your skin to take on a bright blue or green color. Okay. Um, so one of the big factors they use to decide if a food dye is safe for human consumption is if it can be absorbed into the extracellular spaces. So generally the answer is no, but somehow during multiple organ failure or sepsis, something is going wrong and they may be able to be absorbed. So you might be bright green. Um, but you'd probably know you were pretty sick before you turned green. Okay. The other big reason your human body might turn green is jewelry discoloration. This has definitely happened to me. Um, and it might sound silly, but doctors kind of frequently see patients who are worried about their green skin and it's, you know, diagnosed with copper. Yeah. So not like copper poisoning, just, no, no. just cheap jewelry is made from copper a lot of the time and it can turn your skin green where it touches you. Um, but why? Do you know this? No, I don't think I do. Fair enough. Perspiration from your skin reacts with the copper, corrodes the surface of the jewelry, and then you get copper salt just like any corroded copper empire, yeah, or not empire, Statue of Liberty. I was going to say, like, copper the... always over time, if it's not protected or waxed, will turn green. And so I figured yeah. it was similar to that. So it, it it's it's a reaction with your perspiration. So yeah. you, you just clean that off your skin and you're good to go. Um, but I, I found a good tip when I was researching this. If you have color, copper jewelry you like to wear, but it turns green, just um, hit it with some clear nail polish. No more green skin. That's what I'm saying. Like, as long as it's sealed, I yeah. mean, traditionally waxed then yeah. the, the copper is protected. Not cheap jewelry. That's the reason they use it. Yeah. Um, blue is probably my favorite. My favorite uh, My favorite story I get to tell you today because we're going to talk about colloidal silver. Have you Good. heard of colloidal silver? Well, I have. Okay. So let's just say that to this day, people still take colloidal silver as a remedy for, mm -hmm. um, for, for nothing, for stuff. Like just, they'll say literally anything, but it doesn't do anything. Um, that's my disclaimer. Don't consume colloidal silver. Your human body is not made to process silver. It is not an essential thing. We don't do anything with it. Don't do that. Um, as evidenced by the fact that it turns you blue. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely other side effects too, like seizures and neurological damage, organ damage and death. And blue really seems But the blue like thing the... is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. And it's the least of the worries. Right. Um, to be to be fair, you'd have to consume quite a lot of it or be really unlucky in the genetics lottery to have the more severe side effects. Most people just turn blue. But it doesn't just turn your skin blue. Your lips, your gums, your eyes, your internal organs, you'll just turn blue. And it might interact with medications like prescriptions. So definitely yeah. just don't take it. Um, and if you're wondering what it is, it's literally what it sounds like. Small particles of silver, like just in some liquid. Yeah. Yeah. You're just drinking silver. Um, the medical term for this is argyria. And I do want to clarify, it's kind of a grayish or even like a purplish blue. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at pictures. It's not smurfy. If, I'm, you say that. I was just about to say, if you look at pictures, you'll be able to see the guy they call Papa Smurf, who is probably one of the bluest yeah. people I've ever seen. And he went from gray blue. I don't think there was any stage he was super blue because he was like gray blue. And then all of a sudden he was so deep purple blue. Yeah. But I mean, that's the red of your blood mixing with that. I mean, he was a he was a flush type of person. The, so. the pictures I've seen I would I would classify it way closer to grey. But yeah, there's a guy who went by Papa Smurf. Well, I think he went by it. Most of the internet made him go by it, but sure. I think I think he was okay with it. Um and the thing about this is it's permanent. Like it's never gonna get any better. 
because your body doesn't process the silver out. Correct. We have, we have, and we have no way yet. We have not found a way yet of doing this because like, really is a top priority to research how to do this. People should just stop drinking silver. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, we have just not found any way for people to unblue themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to say something about Tobias here. I know. But... Thank you. I was like, <laughs> no one's going to get this reference, but <laughs> rest of development. Yeah. Um, to get to a noticeable change in skin color, you'd have to have somewhere between two to four grams of silver total consumption-wise before you get there. seems like it's actually not that hard to get to that amount. I don't know how much these people drink. Well, but uh, like exposure over a long period of time, if it's not getting processed, like it's just an accumulative... I mean, if you keep doing it, you'll you'll get there eventually. Yeah, Yeah. I just, I don't know how much they they do it, but whatever. Um, The use of silver as medicine does date back to ancient times. Mm -hmm. Like the Greco-Roman period, they thought silver had cleansing powers for food or drink. So they put like their food and their water, their wine, all that stuff in silver vessels. Um, Pliny thought you should put silver on your bandages and apply them to your wounds. Uh, During the Black Plague, silver was thought to be helpful in warding off the plague. So they eat off silver plates and use silver utensils. I mean... Obviously, rich people did this. This wasn't like... Yeah. Um, pioneers used to keep silver dollars in their milk and water jugs. Okay. Yeah. And then somehow in the 1990s, silver, like, came back into fashion. Yeah, 1990s, by the way. Not 1890s. In the 90s, people started drinking silver again. And they said it was a cure for infection or a preventative of a bacterial infection and... You know, then, as is the typical course for many alternative medicine things, then all of a sudden it was curing everything. Yeah. Herpes, diabetes, TB, HIV, cancer. They always say that they, they always say it's going to cure cancer. Everything is going to cure cancer. Um, there is a list of 650 different diseases that proponents of colloidal silver have said since, you know, since the 90s that would, you know, be cured or treated by colloidal silver. So, I... I definitely can't think of 600. <laughs> I didn't even want to look at it. Um, so why do, why do you turn blue? Well, once the silver is in your digestive system, then you get silver ions entering your bloodstream, and they can just pass through your cell walls. They bind with the amino acids that are inside your cell, and then the ions have this dark color, and it just kind of builds up. Um, but argyria most affects skin that is regularly exposed to the sun. Okay which makes doctors think that this, the silver is stimulating pigment production in those cells it's deposited in when it's exposed to UV uh, radiation. And the combination of that pigment and silver ions, you know, turns blue-gray. And this shouldn't be surprising, something I didn't know. In photography, silver is useful because of its sensitivity to light. Yeah. Um, exposure of pale or colorless silver compounds to sunlight will decompose them, and it produces images. I didn't know that, but now I do. And so it makes sense that when it's uh, exposed to the sun, it gets more colorful. Um, so one of the most prominent examples of someone turning blue besides Papa Smurf, or maybe it's the same guy. I don't think it is, though. Okay. Anyways, is Stan Jones of Montana. So Stan Jones is a libertarian party politician, or at least he was, who twice ran unsuccessfully for the United States Senate in 2002 and 2006, and three times as the Libertarian nominee for governor of Montana in 2000, 2004, and 2008. Um, so this guy has an interesting story, I guess. In 1999, he got all freaked out by Y2K, mm. and okay. he thought the world was going to end. A so we'd have to fend for ourselves and learn to make our own medicines. So he practiced making a homemade silver antibiotic because of this misguided belief that silver had antibacterial properties if you ate it, which is just not a thing. But um, I think he's like a doomsday prepper guy, that kind of thing. Um, So he, I guess anyone can do this at home. I'll give you instructions. (laughs) He charged two silver wires in a glass of water, which released the silver ions into the water. And then, you know, just basically bottled it. Yeah. Um, Basically acting like a battery with a salt bridge and left, Electric silver ions in the electrolysis? in the water. Is that electrolysis? Yeah. yeah, I remember things. Um, so he kind of started stockpiling it to be ready for the end of the world. But then he started researching. I'm putting that in big air quotes and reading that people were recommending you just take it as a preventative and take it all the time. So he started consuming it daily for wellness. And uh, he said he didn't actually even realize he was turning blue until 2002. 
when he did a political debate for his Senate race. And afterward, the reporter came up to him and asked if he was okay because he looked really blue. And he said, oh, he went to the doctor. Doctor diagnosed him with Argeria and he said, thank you for the diagnosis and went home. And to this day, he still drinks silver and is promoting its consumption. You can find out about him. He's a little kooky, but you can Google him. Um, you can also turn the kind of bluish or purplish gray from gold. Um, Chrysiasis. I, I assume it's a similar... It's called... It is. It's called Chrysiasis. Chrysos is Greek for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, in the 20th century, gold was used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. They either gave you a pill or they injected gold salts directly into your joints. Um, yeah. A kind of weird case of chrysiasis happened when a chemist um, ended up with a bunch of gold embedded in their eyes when it exploded by accident in the lab, and then they started turning purple. Anyways, yeah. It was, yeah, not great. Um, So for indigo, I got confused because normally indigo confuses me. Oh, Which color is blue? What's blue and what's indigo? I don't know. To me, indigo is just a type of blue, and I just don't know what type that is. For indigo, I went with that kind of bluish color that you see in your in your veins okay. or nail beds or whatever. Um, because, like, why do your veins look blue? It's it's not... When I was a kid, people would just be like, deoxygenated, deoxygenated blood is in your veins, and that's blue. When it doesn't have oxygen, it turns blue. That is not true. <laughs> As we've talked about, with or without oxygen, your blood is red. Um, but when carbon dioxide bonds, carbaminohemoglobin, it turns a darker purple or red, just so you know that. So there is more purple component to deoxygenated blood. Okay. Because you see, after your hemoglobin drops off your oxygen, on the way back to the heart and lungs, it carries your carbon dioxide with it to be breathed out. So then, you know, it turns a slightly different color. Um, so the actual answer about why your veins look blue is is an optical illusion. Veins themselves are like whitish pink. Blood is red. Um, Different colors of light have different wavelengths. So this is an Mm -hmm. optical illusion. Red light has a very long wavelength. So it can travel through the skin pretty easy and then it's absorbed by the hemoglobin in your blood. Blue light has a much shorter wavelength and it can't really penetrate your skin. So it's mostly reflected by your skin. And as you know, whatever color is reflected is the one that hits us in the eye. That's what we see. So we don't see the red because it has gone deeper. And we do see the blue because it's bouncing back um, at you. If you shine um, like a hmm, red or infrared light on your skin, um, it'll make it much easier to see your veins. That's apparently a technique that um, medics use. Okay. But if you use a blue light, then you can't really see your veins. And that's a technique that nightclubs use to in their bathroom so people don't do drugs. Oh. Well, people will probably still try to do drugs, but just make, they make, try to make it hard to see your veins. Interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Okay. Shows you how many clubs I go to. Um, so, Violet. Purple. Bruise. Bruise. Bruises are all sorts of colors. Uh, a bruise is basically just internal bleeding. Yeah. Uh, just not like in a dangerous way. There's a ton of tiny blood vessels close to the surface of your skin called capillaries. When there's some trauma, the capillaries in the area all bust open and yeah. they bleed. But the thing is that capillaries don't hold very much blood. So, 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 so it's get, not you like... You a minor amount of pooling blood. Usually. Yeah. You know, in normal circumstances, yeah. let's not go into fringe cases of disorders and all that. But, yeah, you should be okay. Um, so, over time, your body's going to start to break this blood down and resorb the different components at a different rate. Mm-hmm. So, bruises will start appearing reddish, blue, or purple at first. That's the blood that's come rushing to the area, the fresh blood. Yeah. Then, the heme is going to start to decompose. So, I'll get a little more detail into it this time. The heme breaks down into biliverdin which you might not be shocked to know is green verdin. Hmm. It makes sense. Bilirubin is the next product, which is the yellow one we talked about. And then that eventually leads to hemosiderin, hemosiderin, um, which is kind of like a browner color. So 
a bruise has many of these different things present in different amounts at different times and kind of mixing and whatever. And that's why bruises can just be so many wild colors. A rainbow, if you will. And change color over bruise. time. And that's why they change color over time. And you're going to, in the end, be left with like the, the brownish color because that's the last component that takes Sometimes longer to break like down. yellowish. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> fun fact. Pliny the Elder advised mixing fresh cheese and wine and applying it to your bruises. Oh, you should just eat it. Or, no, you could eat old walnuts, though. Oh, that's less fun. Um, medieval people like to try home remedies and different salves, mostly with different, like, herbs and lard and stuff. But that's because, you know, if they went to the doctor, the doctor is going to try to bleed their bruise, so... Or amputate them. <laughs> right? What would you choose? Um, so now we're on to the bonus colors. Okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about scabs, and I know that might be a little gross to some people. Yeah. Scabs are brown. We're on brown. Um, and, and scabs are super useful, though. It's our body's very ingenious way of preventing us from bleeding out and dying. Yeah. So they're pretty cool. Um, but, like, don't be fooled. They're, they're more than just blood. There's, um, so basically, just to give a, the very, very simple overview, it starts with platelets. These are, like, weirdly shaped, colorless just tiny little particles in our blood and when bleeding starts your body kind of calls for them to gather at this wound and they all start to block the blood flow you get calcium vitamin k and like this protein called fibrinogen all helping the platelets form this clot so there's a lot going on there's a lot of steps there's so many different clotting factors there's so many diseases where it's like, oh, you have a deficiency in clotting factor seven, or you have a deficiency in clotting factor two. Like, it's, it's a crazy number of chain events that need to happen. It's super cool. Um, when platelets sense the presence of air, so they'll make this clot, and the clot gets kind of just starts getting pushed more and more externally okay. to block the, the hole, basically. Um, so they break apart when they sense air. They react with the fibrinogen to form fibrin, which kind of gives you threads. Something like okay. a thread. So it's um, like a scaffold, like a little mesh. like a It's trapping more and more cells and particles to make this big solid mesh. Shield? <laughs> yeah. Shield, yeah. And so, and so yeah, that's, that's your scab. More, the more it dehydrates, the more it stiffens and darkens. Um, but what about the brown color exactly? I know that this is probably common knowledge, but blood turns brown when it oxidizes. Oxidizing mm -hmm. means... When it's exposed to air. Gaining an oxidative state. <laughs> I'm going to try to explain it a little bit. Okay. Remember about the iron in the heme. Mm -hmm. There's iron in there. Okay. So iron can exist in a few different states. Yes, it can. Iron can have different numbers of electrons. Let's just say that. Sure can. Electrons, if you don't remember, are those negatively charged particles in the atom. So iron in heme is normally in the positive two state. Often, yeah. In heme. <laughs> Don't correct okay. me. Um, when the blood is exposed directly to air, then the iron is going to oxidize. Which is a okay. loss of electrons. Go for it. <laughs> You're such a, I know you love chemistry, but I was going to break them slow into the Leo the lion says uh. <laughs> You got okay. Loss fine. of you electrons can steal is oxidation. <laughs> Gain of electrons is reduction. Yeah. Anyways, yes, it loses an electron. Basically, oxygen is just stronger than iron. It wants the electron more, so it takes it. Yeah. And so now you've got a plus three iron, right? Because we lost a negative charge, so yeah. we have a plus three iron. Plus three iron. I forget. One is ferric and one is ferrous. I forget which one is called. Yeah, I don't recall which switch. The important part is that plus three iron is a different color. Yep. Different state, different color. That's how, how elements work. Yep. It has a browner color. That's why scabs are brown. Black. Black. Almost always means tissue death. Oh, I was going to say evil souls, but keep going. But not every time. Okay. So let's talk about pink things again. The active ingredient in Pepto-Bismol. Is something called bismuth subsalicylate. Not just bubblegum. <laughs> it's mysterious because its structure actually still isn't entirely understood. Okay. It's related to aspirin and, you know, it can reduce inflammation and kill harmful bacteria, maybe. Probably. We don't really know. <laughs> but 
Despite its iconic pink color, it can cause your tongue to turn black. Now, this oh. is called... Pepto-bismol can? Yes. Linguinal hyperpigmentation. It's, it's harmless, generally. Hyperpigmentation. So it removes pigmentation from your tongue. Hyper. Hyper, not hypo. Got yes. it. So, generally harmless. Goes away after you stop using it for long enough or whatever. Um, in one extreme case of long-term Pepto-bismol use, so like this person took 40, 50 doses of antacid every day for more than eight years. It caused a person's esophagus to turn black and start breaking down. Acute esophageal necrosis or black esophagus. Um, usually that condition is caused by drinking caustic things like drain cleaner. But, you know, basically what's happening is bismuth reacts with small amounts of molecules that have sulfur in them. Okay. So that stuff that's left over from your food. Yeah. In your mouth. And bismuth sulfide is produced. So that's a black substance, basically. Coats your tongue, but it's not, like, really water-soluble. So it doesn't just go okay. away yeah, yeah. On, on its own, right? But it, it's a coating at this point here. It's not a, a necrosis of, of your tongue. Exactly. Okay. That's why it's generally harmless, yeah. Um, what else can you have black from? Um, acne, blackheads. Okay. That's, that's dirt, bacteria in your clogged pores. Um, some pus in like an abscess or other type of skin infection, uh, could be black, which would be very serious. Like something like MRSA, which is very serious. Methylacillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus, um, like very hard bacteria to get rid of and very dangerous, um, can sometimes cause something like that. But I think it's most commonly understood that necrotic, back tissue is usually necrotic. Um, necrotic tissue is dead, like can't be healed, like long dead. Mm-hmm. If it's black, it's been dead for a while. Um, it's most often necessary to remove it surgically because your body actually doesn't deal with necrotic tissue very elegantly. No. Um, white blood cells kind of rush to that area and they release this antimicrobial substance because necrotic tissue can be a really good home for all sorts of stuff that wants to live there. Yeah. Right? You don't have active defenders in there. So, you know, your white blood cells shoot this stuff out. But unfortunately, this antimicrobial breaks damages all the other healthy cells in the area so you really gotta just remove that surgically um you know common causes your tissue dying like frostbite infections like necrotizing fasciitis or necrotizing cellulitis um necrotoxins from animal venom uh diabetes and other conditions that really impair your circulation because normally your tissue dies from lack of circulation to the area lack of oxygen yeah um so the black color happens because of that same oxidation process we talked about with scabs, except for in this case, instead of hemoglobin, we're going to talk again about myoglobin. So a very similar process when myoglobin is oxidized. Myoglobin being from the muscles instead of the blood, right? Correct. Myoglobin yeah. is the oxygen-carrying tissue in your muscles. Got it. Myoglobin oxidizes, loses its electron, and the tissue dehydrates, and you get black colored. Okay. It's, it's a very similar process. Yeah. Um, and so last, but not least, um, white. But like I'm talking like, you know, actual white, not like a white person who like is chalk white. not the color white. I mean the actual color white. Mm-hmm. Um, vitiligo, vitiligo. I never know how you say it. Vitiligo. The thing that Michael Jackson had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Causes smooth white patches to appear on your skin. It's caused by, like, a loss of your pigment-producing cells, which are called... Yeah, I know this. I do. Um, nope, can't think of it off the top of my head. What's the pigment called? Well, it starts with an M. Yeah, it's melanin. Melanin, that's the one. So the thing... All I could think of was melatonin. I'm like, this is just not right. <laughs> so close, I know, though. The thing that makes the melanin is a melanocyte. Okay. So when you lose melanocytes, then, you know, can't make... The melanin. Um, and it thought to be an autoimmune disease. Maybe we're not entirely oh, really? doing great on figuring that one out right now. Um, and white, the white patches are really sensitive to the sun. Not surprisingly, since melanin is what deals with our sun right. usually. Um, albinism. I'm pretty sure everyone was thinking about albinism yeah. before I said it. It's really rare. It's really rare. It's a genetic like inherited disorder. Um, it reduces the amount of melanin all over your skin, hair, eyes. Um, a person with albinism will have white hair, pale skin, blue eyes. Um, their eyes might actually seem red in some different lighting conditions, and they'll usually have vision problems without that melanin in their eye. Um, you can also like lose your pigment completely after your skin has been damaged. So like an ulcer, a blister, burn, infection, um, 
the skin does it might repair to some extent, but it won't replace all the pigment in that area or something. So you'll get white marks. Um, I would love to go on forever, and I think I could probably find more examples of all of these things. But you know, it's been a it's been an hour talking about the human body, and many of you might be grossed out by scabs. So I should probably just call it a call it a day on that one. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much to everyone again for listening to Teach Me Something. Once again, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new.